2: Hey, hey,
1: hey, ay, 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 ay. How you living? How you feeling? How you doing? How you feeling? Uh, Warren Sharp is in the building today. How you feeling, man? Nice blazer, good texture. It's like a heathered blue, so it pops, but it's got a little bit of the dots to it. It works with my uh, my Jays. Let me see. Whoa, the fives, some 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 royal blue fives. The pre grape. Pre-grape? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Uh, I always love when you're here. It makes the conversation that much better. And uh, Little Birdie tells me you're going to be here for the next two weeks. Yes, sir. So we had two weeks on the road, two weeks here. Um, Also, Little Birdie tells me that the models are firing right now. Firing. Are you hit? Like, explain explain to the 33% um, what this time of the year is like for somebody that pours years into analytics and why it starts hitting its gear right now.
0: Uh, there there becomes like just the sweet spot where the numbers I – I have enough data and I'm processing it in a slightly different way than the odds makers are. I mean that's the only way that I would have – An edge year after year after year is that I'm looking at things a little bit differently than they do, and so my model is a little bit different. I'm factoring in some other things, right? uh, And I'm constantly evolving and growing and building and and. Would you say
1: this is the point of the year where even if there's other big betting groups or there's other big sharps out there, and they move in a way that's different than you? Your models are at a point where instead of maybe earlier in the year where you get a little bit nervous, now you're kind of looking at it and going, Thank you for the value. Because yeah. you're that much more confident in your models. Right. There's there's a game
0: this week where I feel I know the I know the group is that is opposite me. Yes. I have not gone yet because I saw them come on one side of this thing. Sure. And I am actually happy that they did. You know, a lot of people will be like, oh, I don't want to go up against them. You know, like, uh, I I really respect them. But for me, I know what my model has done over the last 13 years. I know what it's doing so far in the 14th year. And I feel very confident in putting that up against anybody, whether it's a bookmaker or another betting syndicate.
1: And what's really cool is we've talked about your website a lot, sharpfootballanalysis.com. I didn't know you do this. So apparently every year, one week, everything is free. Yeah. You're a psycho. We appreciate you. I just try to
0: give people, like, pull back the curtain, let you see what I do. And this is the week.
1: This is the week. week All right, so if you go to Sharp Football Analysis, I think you were telling me before, some pop-ups will pop up that say, hey, check it out. Right now, you can go on there. You can read some of the articles that are on there. You can see, is it Rebar? Rebar. Rebar. Rich Rebar. Uh, He has a lot of fantasy nuggets. I use that when I'm making my lineups or I'm scouring the waiver wire. Uh, But also... On your website, if you sign up, you'll get the email alerts. And I have those set up on Sundays because sometimes you have those late pushes or maybe a Saturday afternoon where I'll get that email that'll say, heads up. Warren's about to put out a pick in 15 minutes. And then I go to your website. I think your website's great. There's a little countdown on it, like new pick coming in two minutes. And this week, we've told people before about the codes and all that. This week, you get to see it for free.
0: Yeah, you don't need any code this week. Just go to the site. You'll see a banner on the top of the website. It'll show you how you can get on board for free. We do send the emails. And the reason why I do the countdown and all of that is because my value recommendations time move limit. lines, right? My, yeah. my recommendations move lines. So I want all of, all the clients to get the same number that I'm putting out. This
1: happened uh, with, I think it was Houston, Oakland. You put it out, the over at 50 and a half, it moved to 51 and a half. And the total was 51. Right. So you you had to get in that early window in order to get it. And the people that go to your website can. So just for all the 33%, all the homies out there this week on sharp football analysis, it is all free. So go sign up, get the emails. If you want to bet, bet responsibly at the same point, Try it out, and, and, and hopefully you fucking fantasy, do well.
0: Read the fantasy yes. information. There's a, a pre- preview and breakdown of every single game. It's already published out on the website. You can find that in your dashboard, uh, and he does a really good job breaking those games down. Plus, we do some props.
1: Nobody works harder than Warren, and so that's part of the reason we have him here is because he works with us. And it's fucking dope. All right, so uh, we're going to get to Sharp School. We're going to get to EDSR. We're going to get to the scheduling advantage and look at some of the biggest games of the week. And, of course, they're all at the 4 o'clocks and Monday Night Football of, I mean, this has so many implications to playoff seeding, to that division. You know, if the Seahawks lose and the Rams win, holy crap, Seahawks Niners is going to be great. So, And it's, it's Kyle Shanahan versus Pete Carroll, which is always a blast. But there was one thing that you talked a little bit about on your website that caught our attention when we talked last night, which was halftime leads. It's this thing that it doesn't seem important until you look at the numbers. And you found that teams that are leading at halftime this year are winning what percentage of their games?
0: 80%, roughly 80%.
1: So the teams that are up at halftime, if you're watching a game, four out of five times that team is winning the game outright. Yep, absolutely. Is that surprising to you, or what does it say to you that teams need to realize? Well, it's surprising to me from the
0: context that I don't hear anybody else talking about it and I don't hear enough teams game planning to build for to build a first half game plan mm. that is geared towards having that lead at halftime. I see uh, in in here because I work with a lot of these teams. Yeah. Guys that are talking about, let's just try to have a good game plan or let's uh, just try to stay close. You know, they're an underdog. Let's just try to stay close. But not many of them actually say, let's figure out how we're going to, between our scripting and our aggressiveness and our play calling frequency. Sure.
1: Maybe even to be more aggressive lead. in the first half exactly. to build that lead. Uh, and then you went back and said, okay, hopefully this isn't just a one-year thing. You looked at the last five and the percentage was right around the same again. Yeah, close to 80% over the last five years. Um, Is this just because teams, the better teams, are the favorites and they kind of go out there and build a lead? Like, can it just be subscribed to that? So that's
0: initially my first take, right? I'm looking at it. Okay, well, maybe there's like 10-point favorites, you know, nine-point favorites. They're the better teams. They should win these games. So they've got a lead. So, of course, they're going to have a good shot at winning the games. But I went back and looked at, Underdogs, any underdog of any size, if they've got a halftime lead, they're winning 66% of these games outright. Like, forget covering the spread. They're covering it like 82 83% against the spread. If those dogs have a lead at halftime, they're still winning 66% of the time outright.
1: So this is maybe... I don't know how I would use this from the betting perspective. It sounds like a note you would give to coaches, though, that are like, hey, that flea flicker you're planning to save for the second half or that really screen play that you know, maybe not save it. Maybe use it right away to build that lead because I feel like it gets into the psyche of the opposing coach where they adjust their, their plays at halftime because they have a deficit.
0: One hundred percent. The opposing teams are going to sit there in the locker room trailing and say to themselves, What do we need to call differently to draw even and then win this game? Mm. So we've got to scrap some of the stuff we were planning on doing or we like doing in the first half because we gotta get more aggressive. We've got to be more risky. And with risk comes reward, but there also comes that things are not necessarily optimal towards winning this game. You're going to be doing things that are a little bit more outside your comfort zone that could end up backfiring. And so you don't want to be that team that's in the locker room, scratching your head, thinking, okay, what are we going to do differently this second half because we're down? You want to be the team that's leading at halftime that says, okay, here's what worked. Let's try to do a couple more things, build off of some of that. Let's make a play that looks like that, but do something different off of it. And and we're going to have... continue to establish this lead and, and have, you, have success.
1: Have you said that to teams this week? Yes. Like this information? How do they react to it? Um
0: some some for some of them again it's it's kind of new. For some of Can them, you tell kind of when you're
1: talking to a coach or somebody on staff when a light bulb goes off in their head?
0: Um it's obviously easier to do that when you're actually seeing them in person, right? Of course. And so like in the off season I'm able to meet with some of these guys in person over the phone. It's less easy to do that um so some of the some of the guys might you hear just pauses you know where they're kind of like processing and they're like, oh, that's, that's interesting. That's interesting, right.
1: you know. Because my fear about this statistic is, is it, I didn't want it to be like the, when you run the ball 25 times, you're 36 and three. You know what I mean? I didn't want to be one of those, well, just get a first half lead and you don't have to worry about the second half. But it, it really does get into the psyche of it. And when you look at the teams this year at first half deficits and how they fared, it's wild. I have the list right here. The Patriots, when losing at halftime this year, 0 and 1. The Ravens 0-2, the Chiefs 0-2, the Cowboys 0-3, the Vikings 0-2, the Panthers 0-3. I mean, that is right there, 3-6-10, that's 0-13, and all of those teams are in the playoff race right now. These are playoff teams that, when losing at halftime, have gone on to lose every single game they've played this year, and you went back and looked at the last five years to make sure it's not a fluke, and it's the same thing. It's the same thing.
0: Now they don't they don't lose every single game but right. their percentages are even the terrible. Patriots even the Patriots struggle. Now again, naturally some of this is like okay, we're down, a team that's down by 10 points through some errors is going to have a tough time winning this game. Of course, like, we we have to account for some obvious logic in this. But at the same time, it just goes to show you that some of the best coaches, the best play callers, the best players on the field, the best comprised rosters still find it difficult to come back. So imagine what the bad teams are. I mean, look at the Cowboys, for example. Over the last five years, they are 4-18 and in their 22 games. Four wins out of 22 when they've trailed at halftime. Like, they're a team that's built on we got to try to get this lead, and then we can use our run game and do everything that we love to do and salt it away in the second half. Um, But when they don't have that lead, they have to go outside the box of what's comfortable to them.
1: And so I asked you, okay, who are three teams this year that – are, have been losing at halftime, but are actually winning more than they lose. Who are the coaches that have been able to turn it around? And the three teams that you found this year were the Texans at three and two this season, the Seahawks at four and one, which is wild and the Niners that are two and zero. Oh. and you look back and you looked at the last three years under Kyle Shannon, the Niners are three and 14 with a deficit. So still right on par the Texans, I, what was the Texans' the last five years in Bill? Burr? You looked that up. I'll talk about the Seahawks. The, the Seahawks' the last three years. This is definitely about Russell Wilson. The last three years, when losing at halftime, the Seahawks are ten and thirteen. The Patriots are five and thirteen. The Seahawks are ten and thirteen. Is can I just say that's all Russell Wilson? Is that fair? It, it's mostly fair. The Seahawks
0: have been for years under Pete Carroll a very conservative team, right? That tends to want to start games by running the football, and they don't really want to put too much on Russ's shoulders. For so long, they were a team, even even when they weren't paying Russ, they had better players in the other positions. Right. That they were a team. We've got a good defense. We've got a good run game. Let's marry these two up and not really overexpose
1: our ability to give the ball to Mike Davis 18 times. Right, exactly. But what
0: we're seeing now is the fact that when they start trailing and they have to pass the ball, that's actually not a bad thing because Mm. Russ is damn good. When when you're blitzing, he's so good under pressure. He's the best quarterback in the NFL right now. When you're blitzing him, he's averaging nine yards per attempt when he's under pressure. Right, the guy is so good at eluding pressure. How rare movement. is that? Like what what are ty- people I mean, typically? he's the best in the NFL. people are like seven and a half seven and he's like two yard advantage the average quarterback right now in terms of passer rating in the league when they're under pressure is right in like the 60 to 70 range in terms of passer rating russell wilson i think is like a 119
1: (sighs) i said earlier this week that uh tyler lockett and russell wilson's the, the best quarterback wide receiver combo in the sport how do you feel about my hot take
0: I mean, no doubt Russ is there and he's bringing Lockett with him. Like the cool thing about those guys is they just have this uncanny, like they're connected at the hip, like 30 yards down the field. Like they know
1: what the other one wants to do. And that's my thing is I'm not talking about, you know, Mike Evans is more impressive. If you put him on any roster in the NFL, he's going to be Mike Evans. Tyler Lockett might not be that way, but I've never seen this connection between two humans that Russ's balls land so perfectly, and Lockett's ability to use every single angle of his wingspan. And like, it, I've just never seen a connection like this before.
0: it's It's really cool because Lockett is not the prototypical w r one, right? at all he's he's skinny. he's short, but he's quick. And and Russ though had that connection with Doug Baldwin who was sort of similar, not quite as quick as 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 Lockett, but um, it's just about I don't know the, the practice that they must put in on their own has to be phenomenal because yes. these guys know what the other one wants to do. They're reading from the same sheet of music that the only, the two of them seem to yep. have. And it's beautiful to watch it work out.
1: I was surprised by the Texans as being one of those teams that was losing the first half is actually doing better because in your book before the year, what were they one and 18 the last two years Yes, with a deficit. And so the fact that they're three and two this year, Can I say this is all Deshaun Watson again, or is that insulting Bill O'Brien? I think most of it is Deshaun Watson.
0: I think he's a special player as well. Same type of guy. A guy who's going to get pressured, but can elude that whether he runs. That's the other thing about quarterbacks that have the ability to run the football, is they can make positives happen, whereas like pocket pure pocket passers, like this is a problem with Baker right now. You know, Baker, when he gets pressured, he either throws it out of bounds or throws an incompletion, sometimes an interception turtles up. Like he's not as often like what Russ is doing scrambling to throw and scrambling to run if he needs to, you know, and the more dangerous element is scrambling to throw because the defense is really compromised when you're out of the pocket and you have to try to cover that wide receiver as a cornerback for four seconds, five seconds. It's ridiculous how far open that guy has the potential of getting then and you're not able to cover him. But if that does get covered, of course, Russ can run the football.
1: There is no more helpless of a person than a linebacker with Russell Wilson running at him with a running back next to him. Russell Wilson's ability to draw the linebacker and at the last second do like a basketball alley-oop to a third string tight end or a second string running back who then turns it into a 40-yard gain. I mean, that to me is one of the that that to me is the Russell Wilson play. In addition to the spin and he throws it in the perfect corner of the end zone. The Russell Wilson play is the run at a linebacker and then the quick dump pass to like a Luke Wilson who goes for forty yards and then that at stadiums just yelling Luke for two minutes. That's Russell Wilson.
0: And I've actually seen that a little bit more this year. Not with Russ, not just with Russ, but some other quarterbacks where. Um, That is the move. Typically, the move is I want to, avoid this linebacker because I don't want him to hit right. me, right? That's typically the move. Like, let me run away from him. But what some of these guys are starting to do is run at the guy, force him to commit to you, yes. like the pure read option, force him to commit to you, yes. and then you
1: do the you do the pass. Right. The and pitch. then guess what? He's probably going to barely touch you, and then there's 15 yards added on to the 40-yard play right, because, because we protect quarterbacks exactly. too much. Uh, the other side, teams that have a first-half lead – but lose more than they win. This happens. This I, I remember two years ago with the Colts, with Jacoby Brissett, they were going into the fourth quarter yeah. leading nine of the 16 and still found ways to lose. But this year, teams with a first-half lead that are losing more than they win, who are these teams that have been disappointing their fans thus far?
0: It's, it's everybody that you would expect okay. with one additional guy who I think after this week Will ring a bell to everybody as well. The Bengals and the Dolphins, obviously, two terrible teams. Sometimes they do happen to get a lead.
1: Right, Bengals and they were leading blow. over the Seahawks, I think, in Week yep. One. Okay, and the Dolphins had some leads and they and they blew right. them as well. Oh, yeah, um, they were up. They weren't up on the Patriots,
0: but they were up on, on the Steelers. Yeah, they were up
1: on the Steelers. Fourteen nothing.
0: I know that there was. Uh, I think there was one other game for them, and then the Bucks. That's the third one with Jamin. <sighs> and I, I'm
1: sorry, but you know that's that looked so good. Like that, like yep, but that that the two all- games that you picked that you said EDSR is looking really interesting, Bucks over Seahawks, and it looked genius all week. It looked genius all game, and Raiders over Lions, which was beautiful and came true. And I, I I told you on the phone last night that I I can't do this anymore. Like I can't. Just like a few weeks ago, I was like I can't bet against the Saints anymore. It's just I know that the the models are saying it. Betting on Jameis when he commits these self committed fumbles. It's it's tragic, and I know you're probably going to tell me later in the show that the Bucks have an advantage, but like, I can't do it anymore, Warren. I hear jamis.
0: you. It's it's and that's a call that you make as a better with your heart and your pocketbook and what stress you want to put yourself through. This also speaks to the importance of getting the best number possible. Right now, I will tell you that last Monday, last Monday, yeah, you put it on your site. I we took it. We bet it, gave it to clients. You even said to bet it up to seven. Yeah, it was six and a half. And I said- Buy to the seven. Normally, we're, on key numbers, we might do that. Oftentimes, if it's like other numbers, we're not gonna necessarily buy the half point. But in this case, it was six and a half. I knew this line was gonna drop. It was down to like four, four and a half, a yeah. lot of spots by close. So that's massive line value. That means that you're on the right side of this bet, okay? Of course, they have a big lead. They're leading this game early. They're leading at halftime. Yeah. And they have a chance to win or, at worst, lose by three at the end of regulation and you're going to cover your bet. And of course goes to overtime. I was disappointed. Even though I won on Tampa won Bay plus seven, I was disappointed. Number one, with the money line aspect. Number two, for some contests, I had five and a half. So right. I, I, by them losing by six, I lost those wagers in the contest. Ugh. So
1: I just, that they're the perfect team for the first half lead, but lose because they have a quarterback that doesn't know how to protect the lead. That and their defense stinks. And their their defense pass stinks. defense is terrible. So It was what, a perfect storm. It was like, oh, you get Russell Wilson getting unleashed in the second half. And also, you know what? Props to the Seahawks for finally throwing now back-to-back weeks a lot more than they've been running. Is this something that you think we can kind of think that Schottenheimer is going to continue the rest of the way? Against teams with
0: good run defenses, I hope he continues this. I tweeted out yesterday a picture from the Sharp Football Stats website which showed the fact that the last two teams that they played both had top 10 run defenses and in the first quarter on first downs, he went like 67% pass or more. Wow! So he was much more pass-oriented, which is something he had only done one other time on the season. So, you know, a lot of teams... Look, the Detroit Lions did the same thing. I was calling those guys out repeatedly on Twitter because I had watched them play yes. teams with good run defenses, and this is like- And the
1: Raiders have a good run defense. The Raiders
0: have a very good run defense, a very terrible pass defense. Very terrible. And you want to be throwing the football on these guys, but you have a coach like a Patricia. Pete Carroll or a Matt Patricia for the, in the Lions case. Or a Vrabel. Or Mike Vrabel, who are conservative. Their style is the run. Mike Zimmer, and they want to start- Establishing the run and run the football often, and when in fact against those types of defenses, you need to be coming out and passing the football early. And Detroit definitely did it, and they got themselves a nice early lead. They were they were playing very well in that game. Yeah, and we obviously saw the Seahawks, even though they trailed against the uh, Bucks, they came out passing just like they did against Atlanta. The week
1: we before. talked about this in weeks two or three, where you're sort of you're not sure if coaches are going to do the right thing. Yeah. And, and so when they do the right thing, it gives you a lot more confidence betting on them the rest of the way. Correct. Yeah. You never know when they could regress like
0: in the game against the Atlanta Falcons, right? There could have been one of two things happening there. The reason why they went much more run heavy and allowed Atlanta to pull within seven. The first thing is they didn't, I mean, they were up big, you don't, you don't yeah, want like to you don't embarrass something. like Dan Quinn, right? right. So we don't want to keep oh, running up yeah. the score passing on him because he's our old buddy. The second element is like, well, we're conservative by nature. And so we've got a lead. Let's just run and just mm. end this game. And unfortunately, in their case, like Atlanta playing with a backup quarterback, Matt Schaub, and they're still like coming and scoring on your defense because your defense is pretty terrible. That's the thing that like I would impart upon Brian Schottenheimer is you've got to stay aggressive. You yeah. cannot get conservative with a lead in the second That's half. That's how I felt about the Eagles and the Bears. This is not the same defense that you've had before.
1: Right. That's how I felt about the Eagles and the Bears. Hey, I know you're playing Mitchell Trubisky. I know you have a two-touchdown lead. Did we all not watch the Falcons-Patriots Super Bowl? It does not pay to get conservative and say, let's get out of here quicker because it's going to happen. There's going to be two minutes left, and you're be like, let's get the fuck out of here because we're ruining this. And when you have to turn it on, it doesn't turn on. Well, it's the same type of thing. It's, it's, it's different principle. Uh,
0: sorry, it's the same principle but a different application. And that was what we saw on Monday Night Football where – the Dallas Cowboys were playing the Giants. Yep. And what did we see out of Pat Shermer? We saw a very conservative approach. Kicking field goals, like, okay, we'll we'll cut it from, like, what was it, like a six-point lead to a three-point lead, or we'll cut it, you know, all these small margins. It's okay to keep kicking. Let's make it 12-9. And the thing that is frustrating to me is that these coaches need to realize, and I don't know what you would call it. I call it maybe, like, scoreboard fallacy or something like that, where you're looking at the scoreboard and you're saying, okay, if I bring it down to this number, then if I get the ball back, I'll be in good shape. But what you have to take into account is that, your own defense stinks and the other team's going to get the ball after you score. So they're possibly going to go score on you. So when you have the opportunity to get that close to the end zone, like what is the harm in trying to get that first down so that you can try to score a touchdown so that if the other team actually goes down and score a
1: touchdown, like you might be able to still win it with a field goal. I always think too, when you have an offense that was performing, let's say like the giants offense was, if you get down inside the five or the 10, and that's your first time getting down there all game, why are you so confident that you're going to be able to do this again? This might be your only time that you get down there, and that's why I appreciated the Ravens-Patriots game so much. To watch a Ravens team that has now went into Kansas City and said the only chance we have to win this game is to go for all four points all fourth down conversions and all two point conversions. And they hung in a game. They had no reason to be in. And then the Patriots, they go in there and they're able to do the exact same mentality. And yet I'm watching Belichick settle for field goals at the half. And that was what was so shocking. But I I applaud the Ravens for having the right mentality. It is okay to be in a game and go, this team scares me a little bit. We need to take our shots. Yes. And also realize that the public is finally up to, uh, I think, accepting this and will not question you for not getting a fourth down on your own 40. Like, I think the public has finally come around to going, if it's fourth and one on your own 40 and we're down six with five minutes left, it's OK to go for it. Bill Belichick loosened this up about a decade ago by going for fourth down on his own 25 against Peyton Manning and the Colts because he knew if I get the ball back, we're screwed. And he was destroyed for it in 2006 or whatever the hell that was. But now, I, I just don't understand the people that don't. You're given a pass. We accept it now. And I, I want to I I congratulate the Ravens because they played that game on Sunday perfectly. Perfectly. I mean, they might have a letdown against the Bengals afterwards, but they played that perfectly. In their division, there is one coach that has come out and said, Not the biggest fan of analytics. Not even that, he went further. Freddie Kitchens was trying to defend Baker Mayfield, talking about completion percentage and all of the statistics. And he said, quote, there's a lot of factors that go into that. I don't think he's just wildly missing passes. I don't really look at that. (sighs) I truly do not look at stats. I went back and watched the whole thing. It is not taken out of context. He is talking about how he doesn't really look at stats. I've seen other bloviators on TV talking about anything that Freddie Kitchens would have said would have been bad. He could have said, I watch, I read all the stats. I watch all the film and we'd still kill him. I disagree. We are in a world now where analytics and statistics in your own division, Freddie Kitchens, with Mr. Harbaugh, are showing how you can play a 2019 version of the NFL. So I ask you, Warren Sharp, a leader in the analytics community, someone that works with teams to provide statistics that changes game plans and thus can change L's to W's, when you hear Freddie Kitchens say, quote, I truly do not look at stats— what do you think?
0: At first, I definitely wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt because you never know what he's trying to state. Articulate, art- defend. Yeah. I thought that it had to do with the fact that they were talking about what Baker Mayfield is ranked on his completion percentage.
1: So you thought maybe Freddie Kitchens was like, I don't care if Baker Mayfield's the 22nd best completion percentage.
0: Right, and they said he's not, a, he's, a, he's near the bottom of the league in completion percentage, and he said, well, I, I don't look at that, I don't care about stats. So I was assuming that maybe he just was like taking, I don't look at that one step further, say that he doesn't look at stats. But when I actually watch his team play, and I dig through the numbers myself, it is apparent to me that something is not right there because there are stats that are showing this team is very, very efficient when they play a certain way, mm. but they're playing the majority of the time a way that's very inefficient for them, a way that Baker Mayfield has not is not thriving in, and yet they don't seem to recognize their problems with that style. And I'm talking about the difference between 12 and 11. Yeah. You've been saying fine. this since week one. I've been saying, yes, last year when Freddie Kitchens came to Cleveland and took over, he was there earlier, yeah. but when he took over from Hugh Jackson, he did a few different things with Baker. He was using him a little bit different under center. Right. He was using different personnel groupings, giving him more protection in the pocket so that he could thrive. Now I know Baker's success rates and his, passer rating is not so good even when he's not pressured so far this year but there's some route concepts and things of that nature that they need to improve upon but when you look at the numbers okay and i look at his passing splits there appears to be this defense mechanism from people in Cleveland that they can't use more twelve personnel because their tight
1: ends aren't healthy. Mm. They don't have. I heard that during the broadcast last game. Okay, they were like, "Oh, they would." They they, they said Ricky Seals Jones is hurt right now because they'd love to use multiple tight end sets, but he's hurt, so they can't do it. I think Schlereth said that on the broadcast. Okay, so.
0: Schleiereth. the fact is that they used 12 personnel, some during the game. So let's share the results of when they used 12 versus they used 11. Sure. They used much more 11. But when they used 12, they had a 67% success rate passing the football. And Baker averaged 10.4 yards per attempt with a 110 passer rating. Wow. When they used 11, that 67% success rate dropped down to 42%. 10.4 10.4 yards per attempt was six yards per attempt. And a 110 pass rating was an 88 passer rating. So with the injured tight ends that they had, without Ricky Seals-Jones out on the field, all the injuries taken into consideration because you're actually playing the game with the people that are healthy, yeah, they are crushing wow. from 12 and much weaker from 11.
1: So you're telling me, even if you don't have, let's say, your number one tight end, You should still do the personnel because, as you've always said, you need to confuse a defense. You need to show run to, one, protect your quarterback, to confuse the defense, and to open up passing lanes. And the fact that they're still relying on 11 shows maybe – Freddie Kitchens really does not care about stats because if he saw this, he'd make a change and maybe give his up and coming quarterback that shaving his facial hair three times in a day, because he's going, I'm not playing up to snuff. Maybe it'll give him the confidence to maybe make those better plays.
0: Exactly. He, something needs to change there. Baker, what, a lot of different things. You hit on a couple of them. The other thing is that when you're in 12, you're seeing a different defense, right? The defense right. is not just playing Instead of a maybe run. a nickel, maybe you get base. Exactly. Right. And so you're going to have different personnel out there that you might be able to take advantage of more. And even if this is the, my issue with uh, Sean McVay in the Super Bowl, right? They they think that, and granted, Cooper Cup was injured, so they definitely should have used more 12. Right. But they think like, well, my two tight ends aren't that great, and this is a really good pass rush, so they're not going to be able to do much in pass protection anyways so i'm not going to worry about using a lot of 12 i'm going to still stick with 11 because my quarterback's comfortable with it the fact of the matter is if you stick a tight end out there okay and i saw a a key play in that game where they almost had cooks in a big like 30 yard touchdown they were on the patriots 29 i think through the ball after using 12. 12 using 12 They stuck both tight ends in pass protection. It was like the first or second time the entire game that they actually used. Both tight ends kept them in there in pass protection. And guess what? The guys got annihilated by the defensive end. But you know what? It took the defensive end an extra 1.5 to 2 seconds to get there. And Jared Goff had a wide open pocket in front of him to step up into to deliver the perfect ball down the field. It was a little bit too long, and it took him a little bit too long to throw the pass, Yes. and then McCourty got
1: back and broke it up. This is going to be hard for me to say because this is the player's podcast. The reason that I wanted to make this the player's podcast is because it is a prevailing notion that is often correct that almost every player in this league is replaceable. That if the Niners can't play with Tevin Coleman, they can do it with Raheem Mostert. They can't do it with Raheem Mostert. They'll do it with Matt Breida. They can't do it with Matt Breida. They can do it with Jeff Wilson. How often do you see a guy come off the street and he's able to have success? If Ricky Seals-Jones is not in the game, Freddie Kitchens, do you know how much that impacts the line in Vegas? Zero. Nothing. Right? There's one position on a football team that impacts the line, and that's if your quarterback's not playing. It's just proven. Everything else is not that big of a deal. And just because they're not playing doesn't mean you have to abandon that formation. I think it's a little bit of the pressure of getting the ball to their wide receivers too. But Freddie Kitchens, I know that you don't look at stats, but you need to find somebody to look at stats for you because you're not you're not self scouting. You're looking at the film and you're going. These routes aren't right. We're not getting it done. You need someone to look at the statistics for you because this is not nerd talk, bro. This isn't comparing yards per carry and, and it's like arbitrary. This is about formation usage. This is about trends. This is about learning what your opponent's weakness is and not just going, what did Vrabel do in week six? Let's do that in week 11. It's not fucking like that. These aren't just people that are like, well, if you divide by, no. It's like people that understand the game, and it's just frustrating. And, and I, I thought that Freddie Kitchens was going to keep this job till next year because of how much easier the schedule gets. But when you lose to Brandon Allen and the Denver Broncos, I don't know how much easier the schedule is going to get. I thought he was going to keep the job because they'll win three or four games at the end of the year. They'll go, oh, they got better as the year went on. But if you're not looking at stats and you're not looking to improve and you're just going, we got to work harder – Get the fuck out! Just get out, because well, you're hurting everybody else's career. I didn't mean. I didn't even know I was going to get that emotional. I, I I like the vigor. I like the uh, you know
0: the and you're right because it does affect people's careers. Yes, I think what a lot of people don't realize is how much. Coaching, decision making, game planning, play calling affects the livelihood of everybody in that building. It's much more than just, oh, well, we didn't give ourselves the very best shot at winning this game. Like that compounds itself over and over and over. And then suddenly guys don't look as good, right? Quarterbacks aren't playing as well yes and because they're not in the best situations now i will say this for freddie kitchens because i'm not in the building and i don't talk to those guys so i don't know they brought in todd monken and i don't know people are clamoring on twitter let's use more todd monken we could use more todd monken well guess what freddie kitchens when he got put in charge last season used a lot more 12 personnel they use a lot less uh number of wide receivers Todd Monken came from Tampa Bay, where they used three and four wide receivers. All they didn't the throw time. the tight end very often. Right. it was spread formation. He comes from an air raid background. Now I know Baker has some experience with that, but that was in college. That was with a great a great coach in college. Yeah, that's not and in a, the pros. And an Oklahoma offensive line that would dwarf people. That's exactly the next thing I was going to say. The, behind a bad offensive line, yeah. right? And Baker is short, and Baker's playing behind a bad offensive line against man crushers that are trying to rip his head off on the other side of him, a few feet away from where he's taking snaps from under center or in shotgun. And maybe the answer, guess what, is not Todd Monken. Maybe the influence of that offense, even though Todd's not calling plays, he helped install a new offense this offseason. Maybe his influence of using the three wide sets and more spread is the
1: problem. And getting more Todd Monken is not the solution. And and we say say all this. Browns are three point favorites against the six and two Bills this week. It's fucking wild. Like we say all this. The the, the sky is collapsing and a six and two team is coming to them and they're three point favorites. Okay. All right. Uh, Let's look at your baby EDSR uh, early down success rate. Last week, four and one straight up. Three, one-and-one against the spread. Uh, Hey, uh, Buccaneers, uh, thank you so much for that push. Would have been a really nice win. Uh, San Francisco beat Arizona. Did not cover against the spread. I talked about how earlier... It's incredible how Tevin Coleman catches that ball. We maybe don't see the Andy Isabella play, but anyway, Houston, your EDSR was right. You were doubting it a little bit. I was. But Houston goes out there and shellacks Jacksonville and Gardner. Win straight up, win against the spread. Uh, Buffalo won straight up, won against the spread. And you said the Raiders had a big EDSR advantage against the Lion. They won straight up and against the spread as well. Good week for EDSR again. And on the season... 14 and 3 overall, 9, 7, and 1 against the spread. Not bad. No, and I'll just caution
0: people that I don't, we're using these top four edges each week because it was a great idea on your part and you wanted to call attention to these games. I do have a predictive EDSR model. I don't just take like what are the top four mismatches and go bet them because all the spreads are very different, right? A lot of these are like double digit do- uh, double digit favorites. And, you don't bet on and those. I'm not like laying double digit favorites on these games. So you would expect a very strong fourteen and three straight up, right? But a much worse ATS record. The biggest thing is those underdogs. When we're finding underdogs that do have an EDSR edge
1: that's pretty big, right. those are highly bankable. All right. So then let's kind of go quick. Over the huge EDSR matchups mm-hmm. that are double digits. Yep. Your number one EDSR mismatch of week 10, no surprise here, Indianapolis over Miami. They're a 10 point favorite. And I know coming up in our schedule mismatches, the Colts are like number one in almost all of them because when you play Miami, you have a mismatch.
0: Right. Now, the issue with the Colts and the, this Dolphins Jacoby team is Jacoby and all that stuff. Jacoby's. Tough. Most likely not there. So you're on a third string Brian Hoyer. You're also without T.Y. Hilton and the Dolphins. I think you're med- also without Paris Campbell, too. Yes, you're right. No Paris Campbell. And the Dolphins are actually a little bit better metric-wise with Ryan alive. Fitzpatrick yeah. than they were with Josh Rosen earlier in the season. So, you know, year-to-date EDSR numbers show a big edge there. The the hard part for the Dolphins is that they are coming off of a big upset win, their first, first win of the season. They're pouring Gatorade it's on Brian a bad Flores
1: spot for them, but th- this has all the makings of the. EDSR says India is that much better, but because they're a double-digit favorite and there's so many weird things going on both sides, this is a I'll push that to the side and then yeah. leave it for the squares.
0: Yeah, I would. I have zero interest. I would never lay the Colts at this number no. with those injuries and the situations that they've got going on there. I there did is however, a big coaching mismatch there,
1: though. I did, however, pick up Chester Rogers in fantasy. He he should have success. I with, hope with so. All right, number two, EDSR mismatch. A little bit of a closer spread. Rams with a monster EDSR advantage over the Steelers. This is a little scary. Steelers are three-and-a-half-point dogs. It is in Pittsburgh. The Rams are coming off of a bye. Brandon Cooks is not going to play with a concussion, and the Steelers are winners of three straight and are now, surprise, surprise, back into the wild card discussion. How do you look at this with Rams having this advantage over the Steelers? It's hard.
0: This is the road Goff situation, right? Where Jared Goff right. does not play quite as well on the road as he does at home. This is a defensive line that they didn't have the best day last week, but that was against a very good Colts offensive line. Like Steelers one of the Steelers are talking best. about, yeah. The Steelers defensive line did not have a good day against the Colts. Very good offensive line. Sure. This week, they're going up against the Rams' offensive line, which is dramatically worse. I mean, that's the perfect sound effect for them. So they (laughs) struggle tremendously, um, and that's going to be a concern. Golf under pressure on the road is a recipe for disaster. Right. And you don't have Brandon Cooks as well. But there is undoubtedly, you know, the one good thing talking about the Rams is Todd Gurley, extra week to rest, extra week to feel a little bit more explosive. with an extra week to prepare. Right. So hopefully, I mean, it didn't work so well in the Super Bowl, but hopefully that's
1: going to help them in this game here. And um, You're right. I actually don't want to talk about McVay with extra time repair against humans because the last time we pimped that out, Kyle Shanahan whooped that ass. Yeah. Because he's Kyle Shanahan. It's Kyle. So is this a game, though? Like, I had people downstairs that were like, it was the bye team on the road against a non-divisional team this year is like 0-5. Is this something like I know people downstairs are circling going, I like the Steelers here. Is that the is that the sharp side of that matchup, even though EDSR is telling you the Rams have a huge advantage? It's hard. Uh,
0: this one, I have not seen anybody uh, from any of the syndicate groups that I look into uh, on either side of this one. Now, they're definitely this line was four at some spots. It's now coming down. It's trending lower. Right. So if you like the Steelers, now might be the time to move. If you like the Rams, maybe Waited it gets three. Yeah. Wait it out a little bit. Uh, I don't have a strong feeling on this game, though. I will say I'm very surprised at how well the Steelers have been doing with Mason Rudolph. The one thing that Mason Rudolph struggles with is if you get pressure on him. Mm. So can the Rams get pressure? They really haven't done a great job of that so far this season. But if you can get some pressure, Mason Rudolph does struggle.
1: Shout out to the Steelers defense. Because that's really been the unit that's been carrying it from Minka Fitzpatrick getting pick sixes, uh, they lose Stefan to it, and they're still able to get pressure and T.J. Watt and Bud Dupree. I mean, Bud Dupree is one of those guys that gets killed on the internet every year for not having good agility and bend, but they've been able to create havoc for quarterbacks yeah. lately, and it's it's been what's kept this team afloat. Shout out to Tomlin on that one play
0: where uh, there was a fumble. I loved. I saw the replay where Bud Dupree. Instead of and and this is what more teams need to coach. To be honest with okay. you, this is something that more teams need to coach. Instead of just immediately grabbing the quarterback right when his ball was 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 right. in his grasp, he waited. He was hovering with his hand. If you watch, it, he was hovering over the shoulder of the quarterback, waiting for the quarterback to bring the ball and up the here and then go for it. And then he hit it. Yeah. And more teams. What if if like my influence on teams like. I mostly help offensively, but from a defensive perspective and, and, and less special teams, but from that defensive perspective, it is so vitally important. If you can get a turnover to house that puppy, if you can get your guys to practice downfield blocking and the returns of those plays, because the difference in like expected points added EPA, when you can return a score for a touchdown versus getting tackled, even if you're getting tackled at like the twenty five yard line of right. the other team, right? It's so much more efficient to actually get that touchdown oh. on the return. So
1: when by I see, any means necessary, when I see you a defensive that touchdown up. or a special teams touchdown, I usually look at the game and go, it's over. Because it's like 80% yeah. that a team that, that that scores defensively or special teams wins the game. And then if they're leading at halftime, 80% times 80%, I don't even know how that works. I think you win 160% <laughs> of the times. Okay, that's, that's not real. Uh Dave, it's in my ear going, that's not how, how numbers work. Okay, third EDSR mismatch, the third biggest, Ravens over Bengals. Ravens are 10-point favorites. This is a lot like Indy Miami where I go, man, there's a lot of storylines here that I don't fucking like. Like Ravens are coming off game of the year. Yeah. Game of the year against the Patriots. And what's funny is, is how did the Packers lose to the Chargers? And then you think the week before they went into Kansas City and they beat, was that in Kansas City or Lambeau? Kansas City. They went into Kansas City and won a shootout on Sunday Night Football. And then I wonder why they were a little bit dead the next week. They're human. This is what happens. So the Ravens are coming off of that. And then you also said that they have a lot of big games coming up with the schedule that when you're playing Cincinnati, you're like, oh, we can handle the Bengals. And also, if A.J. Green plays... Nobody tears up the Ravens historically like A.J. Green's. But what's the upcoming schedule uh, for the Ravens that they might look past? Right. So they've got a
0: big home game next week against the Houston Texans, which huge. is obviously huge for playoff implication. Um, and then they also play in the coming weeks, the Rams and the 49ers. So like those are this is no- the stretch of the Ravens, right? Where we're going to find out this is the big stretch. They also have a game against the uh Buffalo Bills and they closed the season last two weeks, the Browns and the Steelers. But the key is, as you mentioned, you know, when we're handicapping games, we're looking at numbers, we're looking at matchups, right. but we also have to account for. In some respect for the human aspect, the ability to get up for games, it's very difficult to get up for multiple games in a row. And when you crush a team like the Patriots in the fashion that they did at home, and then you have to go on the road against a team that you should be able to crush, right, well, we know that they played the Bengals once before. They played the Bengals at home. And it was close the entire game. The spread was 10. And what was the final score? They only won by six. And and Now they it, did get, a. I think it was a return touchdown the first was, play of the game. That was
1: a huge Mark Ingram game. They were running the ball a ton. And you're like, oh, they have this game in the back. And then it was Bengals touchdown at the end. Bengals were going to go. I think they may have even got an onside kick in that game. But I, I just know that the Bengals were hanging around. They should not have yeah. been there that entire game.
0: No, and if you're taking 10 points, if you're catching 10 points on the road in Baltimore, I know you got Ryan Finley at quarterback, right? but how much of a downgrade is he over Andy Dalton? A little bit, but... Now you're at home and you're still catching ten points. I mean, is he really worth is was, right. was what Andy Dalton was giving you really that much of a of a step up over what Ryan Finley's going to be giving right. you? I don't know. I liked seeing Ryan. And the Finley Ravens' the defense is
1: much improved, but they really don't have any pass rushers, which has been like one of their Achilles' heels all year. But if AJ Green plays, the last time he faced them, five catches, sixty nine yards, three touchdowns. Uh, they, if you, wow. How about this? One, two, three, four, five, six. The last seven times the Bengals have faced the Ravens with AJ Green in the lineup, the Bengals are six and one. Whoa. In their last nine, they're seven and two. Now, he hasn't always gone off. He had a two for 17, a five for 74, but in the other games, 10 for 227 and two touchdowns, 6 for 131 and one touchdown, 8 for 151 and one touchdown. A.J. Green loves balling against the Ravens. We don't know his health. We don't know the motivation of the Ravens. This is a game where I feel like if you are betting it, the only side that makes sense is taking the points Mm -hmm. and the Bengals, but there's a lot of... You're also betting on Ryan Finley in a really shitty offensive line, so it's it's all over the place, but it's if right. I if, if I were to bet, it'd be on the Bengals.
0: It's one of those games where if you bet the Bengals and they cover, and and the public's all over the Ravens after what they just did, you're you're seeing how many times you could pat yourself on the back. Yes. Right? You're like yes. that. Your gift where you're just like Absolutely. patting yourself on the back over <laughs> and over. If you lose, then you're just like what? The you're like oh, I, I bet thinking? on
1: Ryan Finley against the six and two Baltimore Ravens. Right.
0: Yeah. But I'd I'd always rather side against the public and take a team that nobody thinks is really going to cover. Then, then, you know, take the team that everybody thinks should win this game outright and should easily cover the spread.
1: Your fourth biggest mismatch. It is giving me hives. I don't want to say it out loud. You have the bucks as a huge mismatch over the Cardinals and the bucks are four and a half point favorites. And there's a little revenge factor in this game, Warren.
0: Yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, Bruce Arians... Game is in Tampa, by the way. The game's in Tampa. I think they left pretty amicably. I mean, I think Bruce was citing health issues right, right, as right, opposed right, right. to being fired and whatnot. But um, you wonder, like, they weren't doing that well record-wise. And you wonder if there was more pressure being put on him from the Bidwells in, in any respect right. or, or something like that behind the scenes. Uh, I can't speculate. I don't know. It's just you wonder if that like was contributing to why he said, I'm not having fun anymore doing this. I love my players. I love the guys on my coaching staff, but I'm not having, I'm not enjoying this anymore and it's hurting my health. So I've got to, I've got to retire here, but uh, there definitely is a big edge for the bucks um, in this game, but it's another one of those games where, you know, we saw Jameis throw a bunch of picks two weeks prior, and we saw Bruce Arians come out and say, this wasn't his fault at all. Right. This was all on the receivers. Now he has like fumbles and mistakes and, and whatnot. And, you know, at some point, enough is enough. Like, you know, you can't keep having the same mistakes happen over and over and assume
1: that it's always somebody else's fault. I have heard uh, from some sources that this will be James's last year. I think it makes sense. It does. No tier. Well, uh, in Tampa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No tier from Ingwer. Cardinals are 4-1 against the spread in their last five road games. Um, we, we've seen the Cardinals perform well on the road, Giants games specifically. Uh, Cardinals averaging almost, their games are averaging around 50 points combined. Bucks games are averaging around 60 points combined. Over-under in this game is 52. If I was going to bet anything in this game, the over is what kind of sounds the most sensible to me.
0: Yeah, I mean, it definitely looks like the, the, the way to go. I can't comment on it uh, right now. <laughs>
1: All right, that means there could be action coming forward and you know you could figure out where Warren eventually ends up. sharpfootballanalysis.com. This week all of the picks are free. We'll see if that ends up being one. We did not prepare that question and you could tell that Warren's going left go shut the fuck up. Other mismatches. This is the section where last week you gave us Raiders over Lions. EDR EDSR mismatches that kind of jumped out to you as maybe not the top 4 but other ones. And it's one that you said meh Bills at Browns. You see an EDSR advantage for the Bills in this game again. They are a three-point dog in Cleveland. Why are you still kind of, I'm not certain about this? Is it because the Bills are like the perfect 6-2 and team to bet against every week?
0: Right now, yes. Um, I think so. It's tough, right? Everybody's writing off Freddie Kitchens. Everybody's writing off the Cleveland Browns. But the one thing that Cleveland should be able to do here is run the football. And the best friend, and we'll talk about it momentarily, of any team uh, that's playing a good defense is the ability to be able to run the football. And if you can run on the Buffalo Bills, you alleviate a lot of your problems. You make play action a lot more effective. So, that is the concern, number one. And then concern number two is is you're going up against Josh Allen. They have not gotten their downfield passing game to work. So... Will they really be able to outdistance You know, this game's going to be tight. It's going to be close throughout. It's just like the game in Denver. And the Browns had, I think, six or seven drives inside the Denver Broncos 25 or 30 yard line. And they only walked away with, what, 19 points. I mean, that type of thing should not happen. It likely won't happen again. I want Freddie Kitchens to go back to what I saw him doing last year down in the red zone where he was like read optioning. Uh, a running back, faking a pitch and then handing it off to Jarvis Landry, who was streaking across on a jet sweep, running into the end zone. And then Baker Mayfield's doing his little arm thing because he fooled everybody and the defense had no clue. And this guy's already in the end zone doing a tap dance and the Browns are are celebrating. That's what we need to get out of the Browns. I love Sean McDermott. It's a tough opponent. The bills are a good opponent, um, but they there's just something here. I think with the wind and the weather, there could be the situation where whichever team runs the ball better and stops the run. And both teams are good at running and both defenses are bad at stopping the run. Mm. It's whichever one is able to execute that better.
1: Bills are six and one against the spread in their last seven as underdogs, four and three straight up. Bills are five and one against the spread in their last six road games. I guess my question here is it's one thing to go. Okay the Browns, maybe Vegas is going secretly. We think that they might have the advantage here, but to open the line as a two and a half point favorite over the bills is kind of what shocked me where you would, th- I, I just didn't understand opening the line at that. Can you explain to me how Vegas, why Vegas would do something like that, that the thinking behind that? Well,
0: it's obviously the three point line is, is a home field advantage. So right. they're assuming now that the Buffalo Bills are a little bit better and they're trying to, uh, essentially, I think get the action to balance itself out. But inevitably what's probably going to happen here is you're going to be a little bit lopsided on the Buffalo Bills. Has to be. So you're going to hope as the book, sometimes books will do this. They'll be willing to take a little bit of position. You know, they'll, they'll publicly state And some of these guys now do podcasts and whatnot. Like it will be really big for the house which what they mean, if, if the Browns can win this game by three or more points, right? We want the Browns to win this game. We would lose money if the Browns, but the fact of the matter is let's, let's think in all seriousness, here. this is a one o'clock kickoff between the freaking Browns and the bills. How many people are actually even betting on this game, right? I think a lot you do. I just—I I don't just, think there's going to be a lot of volume on this game.
1: I would be very. This is one I'd like to check in afterwards. I just think that at, you know when you're when you're betting football and then that one line pops up and it scares you because you're like, how is this possible? But then that's why you wouldn't want to bet on it. Yeah, but I with. think that's where the squares bet. I think the squares are going to pour their money in on the bills.
0: I, really I, don't, do. I, I don't know. I, don't, I You see the record, right? It's a six and two versus a two and six. But And you're getting two and a half. You're getting three. Right. And so the guys that are going to bet this game are betting the Bills. But how many guys are looking at this and saying, I've just been dying to take the Josh Allen and the Bills on the road here. Like, I feel like most of the guys are going to be like, I want Drew Brees at home, right? The Saints at home. I want Aaron Rodgers at home. Right. I, whatever. I want if Patrick Mahomes come back, I want to take him against like. the. Yeah, Tennessee but I Patriots. think that
1: watching sports media all week and watching people shit on the Browns. Like we just did a whole thing about Freddie Kitchens not doing analytics. There was Baker Mayfield shaving his face. There was Odell Beckham yelling to himself on the sidelines. This is America's favorite circus, and the Bills are this team where they just won, you know, in a double digit game against Washington, and people are going, "Man, the Bills might make the playoffs." I can get three points and bet against Baker. I just, I don't know. I just. I think you're
0: definitely right. The public is no doubt about it, going to come in on the Buffalo Bills here. I just and don't then I'm know the, the sick fuck that's
1: like that means I need to go on the Browns. Yeah, well, that's Ugh. the smart way to make money. Yeah, but the problem is, is like I'm done betting on the Browns and the Bucks.
0: I really am. Yeah, you might need to be. I mean this this is a tough game, right? The Bills have the EDSR yeah. advantage. They are the better team. I love their coaching staff, but like they could
1: be destroying a team and be up. 9 nothing, and f- like all it takes is one Odell slant to go 80 yards and I look like an idiot, you know? Yeah, well, the fact of the matter
0: is if you want to go back and look, uh, go back and look at the last three games that the Cleveland Browns have played. They have a great shot at beating the Denver Broncos in Denver. Probably maybe should have. If that game's played out like 10 times, they probably win that game six times. Right. But because it's just a one off game, they ended up losing it. They had a they should have covered that game up in New England. If they don't fumble the ball and hang on to it, if they don't turn the ball over in their end like that, so stupid with the pitches and whatnot, if they don't do that type of thing. They might have a, they they definitely have a shot of losing that game by just one score keeping right. that thing super close and then the prior game they lost to the Seattle Seahawks that was a 28 to 32 game that's a four point and game they were against at like one 17 of the best to 3 teams. right and remember yeah. a few weeks earlier they beat the Baltimore Ravens so this is not a team in the Cleveland Browns they have a terrible record but this is not a team that is overall a terrible team they've got talent and i think they've got like minimum level coaching. They need to clean but up some things, but I don't think their coaching staff is, is bad. Here's my biggest issue
1: with what you just said. It applies to the Bucks and the Browns. If they just don't do those mistakes, they'd be fine. I have not seen that they're capable of not making those mistakes. Some teams just fuck up a lot. Yeah, they don't have good coaching. They don't have good fundamentals. They don't have structure. And so every week we go. I mean, if they don't just fumble and and Jameis doesn't just have a weird interception and Baker doesn't make a bad decision, it's every fucking week. Right. And so uh, it's like I've lost five blackjack hands in a row. Can't lose six. Pfft, like I, it's it's tough. Yeah. So, but of course, the smart side is always to go. This can't continue. But when, it, when you're all – I just don't want to keep laying down on the railroad tracks.
0: Well, look, here's the thing about betting in general. You want to put yourself in plus-EV situations. Right. You will
1: not always win those bets. Okay? You have to accept the fact – You're right. You're right. These teams, when you're up at halftime, you win 80% of the time. There's still 20% of the time that this, they don't win. This is a one-off
0: right. game. This is a one-off game. And you. I'm not ad- advocating that you bet the Cleveland Browns right, 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 right. here. I'm just talking in general that – betting a, if the public is 80 to 90 percent on the buffalo bills in this game i'm just telling you they may win the bills may win outright by 14 points and right the books can get slaughtered and the books can get slaughtered but the fact of the matter is over time if you're collecting 20 or 30 bets over a three four year period where you're taking the team that's 10% that the public is, you know, the 90% of the public is on the other side, you are going to be winning 54, 55, 58% of those wagers, mm. which is all you need to do to make money. So you're not going to win 100% of them and you may lose this one. But siding with the public in these games is generally a scary proposition unless all of your handicapping and all of your thoroughness shows you that this is by far the right side and you feel confident you could still lose. Even if a game's the right side, we know this. This is betting, the ball's shaped funny, it bounces weird ways, turnovers win 80% of the time. uh, You could have a muffed punt and that's the game. It's just that simple. And it's a complete accident, didn't have anything to do with offense or defense. It was a freaking special teams muffed punt and you lose your wager. That's gambling.
1: I know it's... Awful. All right. Strength of schedule. But fun. Oh, it's the best. Exciting. Oh, it's all I want Invigorating. Do. Yeah, I can't even watch games if I don't. But. All right. Let's go to strength of schedule. How What teams have faced for the last few weeks, what they face this season compared to what they face this week. I was not lying. Uh, literally, when it comes to pass and run, the number one team in terms of having faced really tough and it gets easier this week is the Colts. We are not going to go into that. There are too many variables, and it's the Dolphins. Throw it out the window. It doesn't matter. Uh, last week, I believe it was the easiest pass shift was the Cowboys. And what do you know? Dak Prescott goes out there. Nice touchdown on to Michael Gallup. Good touchdown at the end to Mari Cooper. He had that early interception that I think messed him up, but I think over time he was able to kind of enjoy that EV plus matchup. Plus EV, my bad. So, which which team beyond the Colts this week has the easiest pass offense shift in strength of schedule for Week Ten?
0: It's the New Orleans Saints. Not really surprising. They're playing the Atlanta Falcons, the 32nd ranked pass defense. The Saints both are coming off a bye, right? Yes, both are coming off a bye. The Saints have a great passing offense that was led by Teddy Bridgewater. Now Drew Brees is back. Everybody thought, why is Drew Brees coming out against the Arizona Cardinals? By the way, that game was much closer than the 31-9 final score yes, indicated. Uh, Drew Brees did throw one bad interception, but he is going to be probably playing a lot better in this game after having two weeks to recover further from the hand injury that he may be rushed back a little bit too quickly from against the Arizona Cardinals uh now you're playing now Atlanta does get back Marcus Trufant in the secondary mm. but it still is you know you look at the past defenses he's played three straight uh the the Saints have played three straight pass defenses that rank in the top 15. Including two of them on the road. Wow. They went to Jacksonville, they went to Chicago, and now they get to take on the Atlanta Falcons at home in the
1: dome with Drew Brees. Saints are seventeen and two straight up at home in their last nineteen games, twelve and seven against the spread. Falcons on the road in their last twenty games, four and sixteen against the spread. The spread in that game is thirteen. Eh, a little bit too big. There was one other passing offense that you thought had a a pretty big advantage, too, and that was my favorite team in the world, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, taking on the Cardinals. Uh, This could be a huge Jameis spot, huh? Maybe they'll finally throw the ball to O.J. Howard and save my fifth-round draft pick in fantasy. That would be nice.
0: Yeah, the Arizona Cardinals. Um, if you look at what Jameis has played, they played, he played the Rams and the Saints and the Panthers, all of which are top 15. Then they had a bye. They came back and played the Titans and the Seahawks. Now we know the Titans and the Seahawks aren't upper echelon, right? But their they're average pass defense is slightly below average. The Arizona Cardinals are. Pretty bad now. Patrick Peterson is there now, so that pass defense is improving compared right. to what their full season-long numbers are. But you could still move the ball through the air. I mean, Jimmy Gar- Garoppolo absolutely torched them and uh, and used
1: Emmanuel Sanders for the first time, and You're Emmanuel right.
0: Sanders was insane. Jimmy in Garoppolo
1: game. succeeded so much against the Cardinals that people had to apologize to Jimmy G for like riding him all year. And and the the number one sentence after that Thursday night game was, if Jimmy G can play like this all year, they're. Gonna going to the super bowl and people don't realize it's the Arizona Cardinals past defense. Please understand. This is a matchup league. Yes. That's what happens? Uh, run splits mm-hmm. who has Marlon Mack and the Colts have the easiest run split taking on the dolphins. We throw that out. Number two, Christian McCaffrey and the Carolina Panthers. Here we go. Now it begins. Because you said for Christian McCaffrey, even though it got easier the rest of the year, Sunday last week was still tough with the Tennessee Titans, and he still did that. And now he gets to take on a beautiful matchup. A beautiful. We're going to talk
0: about this one later when we break down the games. But Christian McCaffrey, the easiest run defense that he will face all season at this point in time. In the Packers is the green Bay Packers. They rank 26th against the run and Carolina has played the number one toughest schedule of opposing run defenses year to date in their eight games. They have played five run defenses that rank in the top five. Wow. So that's insane. Um, and Christian McCaffrey still put up the numbers that he has. Now he gets to face the easiest of the season for him. Um, and there's a lot of things
1: that match up pretty well for the rushing attack for Carolina here. Definitely something in the circle. And, man, I mean, Christian McCaffrey as having—I don't even want to get to the MVP discussion, but I think it's, it's really fun. This is an all-time fantasy season. Like we, I don't know if I've ever seen – this is like the Sean Alexander year. This is like a 2,000-yard year. I really hope he hits 2,000 yards. He, he, Christian McCaffrey hitting 2,000 yards would be like when Russell Westbrook averaged a triple-double for the season and people felt uh, – old and NBA people felt the need to to make Russell Westbrook the MVP because we'd never seen that before. McCaffrey is going to make this MVP discussion very difficult if he gets to like 3,000 all-purpose yards or does something we really haven't seen before? I
0: think I, I hear you 100%. I think it's going to be tough because for the very same reason that you mentioned earlier in the show about how coaches of are course. getting criticized now for not being as aggressive, the not just like the total hardcore analytics community, but more of Twitter is becoming more intelligent because people... Are sharing information that's being digested that shows how much more valuable passing is yeah. than running. So it's going to be hard in this era. Oh, in a year where Russell, a,
1: Lamar, and Deshaun are doing are what they're doing, yeah,
0: it's it's going to be tough. It's going to be very hard. But you know, that's that's not a bad thing. Christian McCaffrey is in a league of his own right now. Make him the offensive we player to, of the year. We need to give him the props that he's due. I just want him to stay healthy with this heavy workload and destroy the rest of your run defense schedule as much as you possibly can. And then let's let
1: the chips fall where they may, but I wish him good health and good luck. Easiest defensive shift Uh, we saw last week, it was the Browns. And they really did play well if you take away the Noah Fant 75-yard touchdown. With the Browns, it was Tackling issues. I don't know if the scheme was the issue. It's just every big Broncos play. It was Philip Lindsay or Noah Fant getting out of three guys arms. The, The biggest defensive shift positive EV this week. What do you know? The New York Giants. But their defense kind of stinks. So Yeah,
0: it's, it's hard. I mean, they, they go from the playing the Cowboys, who's like one of the best offenses in the NFL right now, the Lions, the Cardinals, and the Patriots in the last four weeks to playing the NFL's worst offense. Now, the Jets, metric-wise, are the worst offense. There's a couple weeks of Luke McCown in there. Nick Folk. Uh, but the fact of the matter is the Jets – do have more talent overall than being the worst offense in the NFL. And at some point, it's got to click for them. Like, at some point, they're going to get back on track. What better defense to get on track than the New York Giants? All of that being said, they do face right. a, a nice ease in schedule here from playing all those difficult offenses.
1: Now, the Lions are a two-and-a-half-point underdog, but they're actually number two in the easiest defensive shift, taking on the Bears.
0: Yes, they are. And we know Mitchell Trubisky is just like Sam Darnold right now. People are like, what the hell is going on with this guy? Um, a little bit different because people liked Sam last year and are w- what's Gase doing with Sam this year. Trubisky was always being kind of like coddled and brought along and people always were a little bit more skeptical of him. But definitely, when you talk about the... Detroit Lions, they were playing, apart from the game against the Giants, they were playing a lot of good offenses. You're talking about the Raiders, the Packers, the Vikings, the Chiefs Mm. over the last four or five games. Now they get to play the Chicago Bears, who obviously are struggling right now through the air. Now, Chicago could turn to the run, go a little bit more run heavy, have some success against the Lions, poor run defense, but uh, that's the definite edge there is that the Lions get to face a much easier offense than they've
1: been accustomed to. And Trubisky has only... Ah, damn it. I put the wrong team in there. I want to see how Trubisky has done against the Lions. How do you think he's done so far? What's your guess in his career? Uh, Average. He has Mitchell Trubisky... uh, And I blew it. Man, sometimes uh, pro football reference is hard. Sometimes it's not. Today, it's decided to be a little bit more difficult. Trubisky against the Lions. Get results. Sort them out. Adam Lefko stalling. He is, how about this, 23 of 30 for 355 and three touchdowns last year. He went 179, one touchdown, no interceptions the year before, and 314, one touchdown, three interceptions. But the last time they played... He dropped 355, three touchdowns with a 149 QB rating. But that was also, I don't even want to look at last year's Bears team compared to this year. They're not the same It's team. depressing. It's depressing if you were to do that. So Yeah. The only other team that you have rated as the easiest defensive shift was the Ravens facing the Bengals, mm-hmm. and now they're facing Ryan Finley, so something to keep an eye on. Let's talk about the uh, games of the week. First one we're going to do, 4 o'clock Packers-Panthers, the one we were talking about before. Uh, What else do you want to get into this game that that has caught your eye, whether it's the possible snowfall, whether it's the fact that we definitely know that Cam Newton's out right now and this is Kyle Allen's team, or the fact that the Packers are coming off of a very disappointing loss in the Los Angeles Chargers?
0: Yeah, there were some interesting things come out after that game. Actually, I think it was like, during the game where the sideline reporter interviewed Matt LaFleur and he was saying that he was disappointed because they got to the stadium late. They changed up some things with their practice schedule oh. and he felt like that was to blame by the team's sleepy start and their overall performance in that game, which is a little odd. Uh, and you would think that those types of things would rectify themselves at home right? being back on a normal schedule. Right. Um, so that's first and foremost. The second thing is like we've been berating melvin gordon and this chargers rushing offense ever since melvin gordon came back they were trying to force feed him the football and it was terrible you know what they did last week when Mm. they played the green bay packers run defense the prior three weeks the chargers rushing offense had a 17 percent success rate 21 percent success rate and 24 percent success rate on the ground Against the Green Bay Packers last week, 66% success rate. Eckler and Gordon combined to run for 150 yards on the ground at 4.7 yards per carry. So that goes to show you how bad this Packers run defense is playing right now. They have allowed a lot of yardage to some of the decent rushing attacks, like above-average rushing attacks. Let me just throw out some names. Dalvin Cook, 7.7 yards per carry against these guys. When they played the Eagles, Miles Sanders had six point five and Jordan Howard had five point eight yards per carry. <laughs> Josh Jacobs of the Niners uh, of the Raiders five point nine yards per carry and Zeke five point two. So like, these are the only above average rushing offenses that they faced, and every single one of these guys is having between five and almost eight yards per carry, which is insane. And now you're going up against Christian McCaffrey. Now, uh, what is what do the Packers struggle with? They struggle with for you guys watching at home. You're going to watch your TV, and you're going to look at when the Green Bay Packers are playing defense and the Carolina Panthers are running towards the middle or towards their left. That's where Green Bay is very susceptible. The offense is up the gut or to the left of the offense. That's where we should expect Christian McCaffrey to have big runs. That's where he's good. That's where the Green Bay Packers are bad. So there's a mirror image It favors Carolina running to their
1: offensive left. Every time they run up to the left, I want people to be tweeting at me and Warren and being like, to the left, Christian McCaffrey, to the left. That's all I'm going to pay attention to now. And in addition, if you look at like some
0: of the rushing types... They definitely struggle against some of the things that the Carolina Panthers do well. The Carolina Panthers run a lot of power. Green Bay's terrible against power. Mm. Carolina runs inside zone a lot. Now, they're very balanced. They run inside and outside zone. But they like inside zone. And Green Bay is very bad defending inside zone. So the viewers at home, you guys, 33%, you're not going to really know inside zone, power, all these different types of run plays. But just in general, look inside up the middle, to the left. That's where they should have success. On the flip side, though, this matchup is really interesting because— I'm
1: looking up Christian McCaffrey prop bets. I just want to see. The
0: Green Bay Packers actually have a very good advantage on the ground themselves. Both of these teams have good advantages running the football. Right, because we saw the Niners run all over Carolina. Carolina ranks dead last in the
1: NFL in run defense. It's just wild because their pass defense has been so phenomenal. They're very much of a run funnel.
0: Right. They are. Yeah. So you want to be running the football on them. The the other cool thing about this game that I love when we get to this time of year, we start to see this weather. You
1: love snow football games.
0: I, I love snow football games. Now I don't know that we're going to see snow. We'll have to see. But the current forecast right now shows very cold conditions the coldest football game of the year to date i think the game time kickoff temperature is going to be right around 27 28 degrees so below freezing i can't wait to watch these guys play in the cold with the you could see the breath cuz the game yes. kicks off 4:25 daylight savings it's going to be dark earlier now there right. so we're going to have the night football under the lights at Lambeau, maybe a little bit of snow piled up on the sidelines we'll have to see and you got these Cold breaths of air coming out of their this mouth. This
1: is when we get the Warren Sharp fan tweets where he's just like, I love football like this.
0: Yeah. Well, there's nothing better when I'm sitting in my theater room with the fireplace going in the foreground Oof. and I'm on my chair and it only works when there's only a couple games on at a time. Because if there's like four or five plus games and I'm studying them all, but like in the playoffs when the Chiefs played the Colts, remember oh, that game yeah. last year where Quint Nelson cold? was out there in a tank top? Yeah, and and that was a game where I'm like the fire's going. I'm watching it on the big screen. Yes. Only one game's filling the whole screen, and it's just beautiful. You can have a drink in your hand with the fire going, and you're warm, and they're freezing their
1: ass off. <laughs> but it makes for beautiful TV. There is nothing better than being comfortable as other people are in suffer- the suffering through the cold. Uh, Other 4 o'clock game that we wanted to talk about was Vikings-Cowboys. Kirk Cousins in primetime, Mike Zimmer against the team that he used to coach for. Where would you like to start? Talking with two teams that are firmly in the playoff picture. Vikings coming off of a very disappointing loss where if I was a Vikings fan and you got to play the Chiefs without Patrick Mahomes, I need a win. I need to win that game, especially when you have a lead. Cowboys start off slow. Black Cat runs on the field. They end up pulling out the win and and handling the Giants. But now it's the Cowboys against a good team. And the Cowboys haven't been that great this year against good teams. How does this matchup play in your mind?
0: Well, I'm looking up statistics for Kirk Cousins. I'm looking up his win-loss percentage when he does not play at 1 o'clock. Oh, there's a thing there? There, There's a thing Uh-oh. there where Kirk Cousins does not play at one o'clock. So let me pull this up for you. Um, when Kirk Cousins, okay, and, and let's bear in mind that there might be a game or two off here. Okay, there, they, like it just might be a game or two off because I'm looking it up from a resource that uh, I trust, but it might not be 100% perfect. Okay. okay, Kirk Cousins, eight and 22 straight up when he plays... At four twenty-five or later, whether it's like a primetime game, whether it's a Sunday afternoon game, he has four not and twenty-two, four and tw- four, sorry, eight and 22. Okay, eight and 20. Now this includes games with the Redskins since he's been in Minnesota. Hold on, add another parameter here. Yeah, add those parameters. Three, three and seven straight up in Minnesota when he's played one of the afternoon kickoffs or in primetime.
1: How do how do you explain that? Like what what comes to your mind
0: first? Well, I have heard that Kirk Cousins is very very much a creature of habit. Like oh, that's he has kind of such a massive routine for these one o'clock games, and when he does not stick to that routine for these later games, it clearly maybe he struggles. I can't really understand why I know when I was younger and playing sports in high school and, you know, in, in, in other leagues and travel soccer and doing all these other sports, I loved playing under the lights at night. Like that was, it's funny because
1: those statistics are what we say that people shrink in prime time. And we say that they're afraid of the big moment, but the way that you're kind of proposing it is no Kirk is a creature of habit and this is a weird schedule. Yeah. So it's not that he's afraid it's not that he's like more people are watching me right now because I have Aikman and Buck on the call
0: right that's what like we thought of Andy Dalton right like right. Dalton in prime time it's like all the eyeballs are on him why does he keep blowing these games with Kirk I mean he struggles even in these four o'clock games where you know it's not even necessarily the national TV game Interesting. so that's one factor here um, but
1: I look at this game... I mean, that's not a fact. I, I hear that, and I know the degenerates out there are like, oh, I'm cashing that Cowboys ticket. All right, what else do you have, though? That's yeah, real? but I, the main thing
0: here is both these teams really, if you look at their schedules really haven't played anybody. No. If you look at the Minnesota Vikings, their offense has played the second easiest schedule in the NFL. The Dallas Cowboys offense has played the sixth easiest schedule mm. in the NFL. The Dallas Cowboys defense has played the fourth easiest schedule in the NFL. So these guys really haven't played very many good opponents. So this game's really going to be a good measuring stick. Now, Dallas, of course, they have played the Eagles. They have played the Packers and they have played the Saints. Right. Those are good measuring sticks as well. They went two and one in those games, but they've also played they one and two in those games. I'm sorry, one and two. They've also played the Giants twice, the Redskins, and the Dolphins, right? Like, not very good teams at all. And, you know, if you look at the Minnesota Vikings as well... Yeah, they stomped the Falcons. They they beat the Raiders. and That that win looks a lot better now. But... It, it does. It does. They lost to the Green Bay Packers and the game against the Chiefs. Other than that, they're playing, you know, the Falcons and the Redskins and the Bears, Bears etc. So, I think this is going to be a good measuring stick. I'm really interested to see how the Cowboys plan to attack these guys. Are they going to go with a little bit more pass heavy attack? You know, they, all their receivers are healthy. They've got a healthy offensive line right now. Could they try to exploit some of those cornerbacks who might be struggling in coverage for the Minnesota Vikings? Alternatively, we don't have Adam Thielen. So Adam Thielen was like one of those big time security blankets for Kirk cousins. And without Adam Thielen there, it's going to be tough, like funneling everything through Dalvin Cook and you know, expecting your other receivers to step up for you. Yeah,
1: it. I have like the Ola B.C. Johnson has been a pleasant surprise. I think Irv Smith, I'm just yeah. seeing him worked into the offense a lot more. And I, anytime I can get Rudolph and Irv Smith in the field together and run a little bit of 12 personnel, uh, I'm excited about it. How, how do you think Dallas's run defense will hold up against Dalvin?
0: Well, Dallas has played the fifth easiest schedule of opposing rushing offenses so far this year, and it's definitely what the Minnesota Vikings need to bring. They need their offensive line to establish some physicality and be able to be productive on the ground so that you don't put everything on Kirk Cousins' shoulders. You know, you can't have everything on his shoulders right. in this game because he doesn't have Thielen, and he's in a environment that he hasn't really excelled in mm. in terms of the start time and the location. So... Definitely. He is familiar, though, from his time in Washington playing in this sure. venue. So he's got experience from that. He's definitely not going to be nervous about playing in this venue, but um, I think it's going to be a fascinating game. I really, from a line perspective, from a betting perspective, I don't really see any necessary value. I think the three-point line is yeah, pretty Cowboys much Cowboys three-point
1: favorite at home. Yeah,
0: I don't really see that line moving too far off the three. I would probably lean towards the Minnesota Vikings if I had to do anything here.
1: One other note about Cousins: uh, he is six and twenty-eight against teams with winning records in his career.
0: Well, and we all also know the statistic from my book talking about Minnesota playing on the road outdoors. This game's obviously indoors in the dome, but Mike Zimmer has not really fared well. Uh, I think they're what, like 0 and 14 and 1 on the road outdoors against teams with winning records. Here they're playing indoors, um, so they're not. They're not as far out from their element, you yeah. know. But
1: in uh, my one group chat, we joke that Kirk Cousins is the test of whether or not you're a good team. And so if you lose to Kirk Cousins, you're gonna finish the year under five hundred. If you beat him, you have a chance to go over five hundred. He's a litmus test. So in my Eagles chat, when we lost to the Vikings, it was like guys, we're finishing seven and nine this year. Kirk Cousins beat us, we're an under five hundred team. Yeah, but the Vi- I think
0: didn't the Vikings beat you guys last year too and, and you went on to go to the playoffs and want to get there?
1: I can't remember last year.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure.
1: <laughs> they may have. All right. Oh, man, I'm losing it. All right, Monday night football. Seahawks, Niners, mm, big game. game of the week. Big game. Seahawks are coming in here. They could be down. Russell Wilson saving them. Niners beating their chest. Got 10 days to prepare. Kyle Shanahan versus the Seahawks. Where do you want to start? Health of the 49ers okay, offense. Okay, okay. Definitely can't go anywhere. Are they all coming
0: back? Staley's coming back, McGlinchy's coming back, and Kyle Yushchek is coming back. It's so assuming incredible. they don't have any type of uh, they all practiced on Wednesday, they Tuesday or Wednesday, and they all reported that the practice went fine, right? So, as long as they have no like unexpected setbacks later in the week, all those guys are coming back. Now, it should be noted that the San Francisco 49ers have played a tough schedule of pass rushes and they still are allowing, I think like the eighth lowest sack rate in the NFL. Wow. So we, with, with, e- the backups. with the backups, which is saying something for them, right? It's saying something really strong for them. Um, and the other thing about the Seattle Seahawks is they do not rush the passer very well at all. Seattle struggles tremendously to rush the passer. In fact, I'll pull it up here. Um, But I'm pretty sure they are one of the worst teams in the NFL at uh, pass rush efficiency. They're number 31 in the league at pass rush Mm. efficiency. So I think Jimmy G is going to have time to throw the football here. I think you get the tackles back. You get your fullback back who can help pick up some of those blitzers. (sighs) And Jimmy G is going to have time to survey this defense. How healthy is George Kittle? Will he be able to go? That's to be determined. We still don't know that yet. But... Even without him, we saw that chemistry immediately with Emmanuel Sanders, and we talked about it on the podcast. Rich last Scangarello, week. Scangarello, he
1: came from that system. This was predictable. We predicted. Not only that, it. the thing happened, that excited so. me the most wasn't just the way he was used. There were so many times in crunch time where Arizona clawed back, and the Niners were able to kind of have that five-six minute drive to ice the game. And before every clutch throw. When they would break the huddle, the two people that would be talking to each other as they would run to the line was Jimmy G and Emmanuel Sanders. And they were having a full-on conversation. And for me, when you have a veteran wide receiver, because this is a very young group of wide receivers on the Niners, and you have a quarterback that's still getting used to the system and still getting used to the personnel, I think, the fact that they were communicating that much— That was, in my mind, the missing piece for this Niners offense. They have the mismatch at tight end. They have the mismatch at running backs. They have guys like Debo Samuel that are great for the jet sweeps to confuse a defense. But he did not have his reliable wide receiver, and he filled that gap immediately. And someone posted the video on Twitter of Emmanuel dusting Patrick Peterson multiple times throughout that game. He is that level of wide receiver, and I hope that everyone has gotten past the he's a 30-plus-year-old wide receiver coming off an Achilles and realized he did it. Like, he did it. Emmanuel Sanders did it. Now let's live in this new normal and stop being surprised by it and realizing he could be the guy now. I, I love Emmanuel Sanders. He was a stud back when Peyton was with the Broncos. Sure, and then we forgot
0: about him a little bit because you had a couple of different mouths to feed, and they had Joe Flacco, and they went with a more run heavy, and they had a couple of your Trevor Simeon right. and uh, you know super tall Brock Osweiler, and uh, they, they they didn't really have good quarterbacks there. He is going to be. Getting his potential here with Kyle Shanahan and Jimmy Garoppolo, I sure. can't wait to see that. So we know that Seattle struggles to put pressure on the Shit, quarterback. People forget
1: how great he was with the Pittsburgh Steelers, but yeah, I keep going. He there is a there
0: is a definite edge for the 49ers offense here both in the air and on the ground Mm. okay and I think they're going to have success offensively and then flip to the other side of the football here and this is the most important thing about this game that I find super fascinating the San Francisco 49ers are great against the pass But they're merely average against the run. Really? We saw the Arizona Cardinals have a little bit of success running the football on them. You're right. Kenyon
1: Drake had a big game. Christian McCaffrey still put up some some yards on them with a big-time touchdown run.
0: Yeah, they are allowing actually, um, what is it, over the last month, their fifth worst in success rate allowed on the ground, and they are allowing 5.4 yards per carry.
1: I have not heard this talked about the Niners' defense at all. 33%? Listen up.
0: The Niners can be run on, and Mm. Seattle likes to run the football. A little bit. A little bit. A lot. So they should have some success running the football here. Now, part of it is because of the uh, style that their defense coordinator plays with the wide nine, and he gets pressure from the edges so easily, but that opens up running running lanes, lanes. Yeah. Right? Now, the other element here that's interesting is what is San Francisco so damn good at? They are so damn good at getting pressure on you and sacking you and disrupting your passing attack yeah. through that rush, through what they're able to do up front. However, you are now going up against the best quarterback in the NFL when he's pressured. Russell Wilson is having a phenomenal year. When you look at the games that he's played, the three toughest pass rush teams on the season, Okay, his the three toughest, a 28-26 win over the Steelers, where he threw for 300 yards, 8.6 yards per attempt, three touchdowns, no interceptions, a 56% success rate, and a 131 rating. A loss to the Saints, 33-27. The Saints had a couple non-offensive yep, touchdowns yep. in that game. He threw for 406 yards, 8.1 yards per attempt, two touchdowns, no interceptions, a 50% success rate and a 103 rating, and then a 32-28 to 28 win over the Browns, where he threw for 295 yards at 8.9 yards per attempt, two touchdowns, no interceptions, 61% success rate, on the and road. a 118 rating on the road. He leads the NFL on virtually every single metric when he's under pressure. He gets pressured 41% of the time, but he's only sacked 15% of the time, so he's avoiding those pressures he's finding guys so when you talk about who the 49ers have played so far listen to these names and think in your mind are these dudes who are good under pressure that can evade that or are these guys that are going to get sacked and deer in headlights listen to this list all right i'll say it out loud baker mayfield oh we know he's a historically bad quarterback under pressure jared Goff, same mason rudolph you may not know, I mean, but he's terrible, here. okay? He's one of the worst in the NFL. <laughs> Andy Dalton. Yes. Jameis Winston. Oh, Christ. Case Keenum and Kyler Murray. Okay. Wow. That's, that's who they, Kyler's the only one, but Kyler goes down like so quick. Like he, you know, he did. Okay. He scrambled around a little bit, but he takes, he eats a little bit too many sacks in my opinion. I wish he would throw the ball away a little bit more often as opposed to take the sacks, but regardless, he's a rookie, not as experienced. So Russ is going to present this element to this particular defense that they haven't seen before yet this year. Mm. They're going to be able to maybe have a little bit of success running the football. Mm. And, like if the 33% go to the website and check it out, I've already got something up there on this game. You do. I'll just tell them right now. save them the trouble, but you should read the write-up. It's one of many that I've got up there. Uh, by the time Sunday kicks off, there'll be several. I like the over. Now, again, it's all about timing the market, and I got in at a much better number than it is right now.
1: You got in at what
0: number? 45, it was actually, we had to lay minus 120 to get 45, but we got 45, the line right now is 47. Mm -hmm. Now I still, my model still thinks that this total is about a point and a half too short. So I still think that there's value in the 47, but then the real trick comes into like the whole, like what I do most of my day is like having one eye on the lines. Is somebody going to bet this under since it opened at 45, 44 and a half, and now is sitting up at 47? Cause if then you could get over 46 later in the week, when should you go on this game? Right. So
1: you got to worry about that now if you didn't get in already. Um, uh, but but you are already looking at it and like you said the Seahawks can be run on and mm-hmm. the Niners we know have an unbelievable running attack and the Niners have not faced a quarterback that can elude this phenomenal pass rush and put up points added to the fact that Russell Wilson in 11 primetime games on the road his last 11 8 two and one straight up 7 three and one against the spread this is the this is only the sixth time Russell Wilson is a 6 plus point underdog in his career Right now the Niners are six-and-a-half-point favorites. Do you know what his record was in the other five games against the spread when he was a six-plus-point dog? Five-and-oh. Five-and-oh. Seahawks are also 10-and-one straight up in their last 11 games when playing the Niners. It's a very different era for the Niners. This team is much very unlike those teams. But this is the year of Russell Wilson. It's been that way from the offseason. Him and Sierra took it over. He took DK Metcalf under his wing. He got the new contract. Seattle, we got a deal. This has all, this entire year has been the year of Russell Wilson. And
0: another interesting matchup. Yeah. It is, it's definitely been the year of Wilson. <laughs> he just avoided
2: saying
1: it.
0: Yeah, yeah, but I like it. I'm I'm cool with it. Russell Wilson. It is the year of Russell Wilson. Yeah, there you and go. in addition, they're getting to face the Niners without a guy who's very underrated, in my opinion. Quan Alexander. Oh, yeah.
1: Linebacker. Speed linebacker. He'd be dealing with Chris Carson the whole game and
0: Russell Wilson. Exactly. And you take a guy like that away from this defense, there is going to be a drop-off. He's one of, I think he was ranked number two in pass coverage, really good at pass coverage this year, better than any of his years when he was in Tampa Bay. Wow. And what are the things that we know about this pass rush, right? This is this is one of the things I was preaching on Twitter when I first saw him go down, and people like, I didn't even know Quan Alexander was on the 49ers right, this right, right, year, right, right. because all we hear about is Bosa, right? Yes. But the factor here is that... You hear about Bosa and you hear about that defensive line primarily on the 49ers because they're the ones getting sacks and getting pressure. Some of them are coverage sacks. But if they don't get those sacks, guess who becomes more important? Quan Alexander and his coverage ability down the field. Fred and, breaking up and all passes. those guys. Yeah. And if Quan Alexander is not there and if Russell Wilson's escaping some of that pressure, Quan's absence in this game may be more meaningful than Quan Alexander's absence in other games where that front four can get pressure and sack the quarterback. I mean, this is going to be, we know the Seattle Seahawks don't have a good Offensive line at pass protecting. So make no mistake, like Russell was. This game Wilson's could, yeah, this game be could start pressure. out
1: really ugly for Russell.
0: Russell was going to be under pressure yeah. here, but it's the fact that he's able to rise above that oftentimes and excel is what makes this difficult in a way that none of the other quarterbacks the 49ers have faced. And
1: we're getting the debut of Josh Gordon.
0: Yeah, I really will. I'm curious I, how much I is going to be used yeah, right? or
1: what roles or those types of things. This reminds me so much of Ravens Patriots where we're sitting here and I'm hearing you talk and I'm going— Wow, the, the six-and-a-half-point dog Seahawks, much like the Ravens last week, sound like the smart way to go if I was going to pick a side. But then there's the other part where I'm going, it's Kyle Shanahan with 10 days, and it's not a great run defense against a running monster that now has two offensive tackles and a fullback at their disposal. It's it, This is a great game. It it's, really it's is. It's going to be
0: great. I, w- I want to see the coaching Match up here, what the Seahawks decide to do. Will they try to pass? Will they stick with the run? Right. Will they fall behind and have to turn more to Russ? Yeah, this is the
1: one game where you want the Seahawks to run.
0: Yeah, exactly, because that's a weakness. Run, then use play action, set up the pass. I want them to use a lot of
1: play action. And you know what would be great? You know, hopefully the Seahawks are looking at these numbers. They're looking at these stats. And they can adjust their game plan based on their opponent and what they're good at and not good at. Because it's not just about going into a room and saying, what do we need to do better? And banging your head against the wall like Freddie Kitchens and going, screw the numbers. We just need to be cleaner. We need to, I love this one, execute better. Do not put your players in a position to execute a game plan that they do have no chance of winning. And we'll learn about the Seahawks. Seahawks have adapted these last two weeks. They threw the ball a lot when they needed to. And if they come out against the Niners and they run the ball a lot, I'm all aboard the Seahawks bandwagon because they understand it. But Freddie, and I'm coming back to kind of close this one out. Look at the stats, bro. Stop, stop acting like it's 1975. Let's get Crack on the phone. I have no picks ready to go. None. <laughs> I'm just going to ask Crack who he likes. We'll see where, where he's kind of leaning and what he thinks of the markets and all that. I will be honest and tell you that you got me very excited about the Seahawks there. Uh, your Kirk Cousins stat. Hey, guys. always is interesting. Oh, crack a a ding dong How you feeling, pal?
2: Good, man. I'm here. Here in Vegas, hanging out. I'm um, you- just waiting for you guys to call. Just waiting on a friend like the Rolling Stones said.
1: What is a Thursday in Vegas for crack? crack. I mean, are you just... Today's
2: a slower schedule. Thank you. Today's a slower schedule because of, uh, uh, there's not a lot of uh, college basketball on it. But however, uh, now they're in cross sports, college football, college basketball, NFL, NBA. This is the most crazy time of the year when the bookmaker has to get 150 lines right on a Saturday, and they just can't. Because even though even the Wednesday, Thursday, when there's college basketball and stuff, it's so hard for a bookmaker to get a line right on every single one of those games when they're only used to putting up 20 or 30. So it, it's a very exciting time for me Ooh, here, actually. That,
1: I've never thought about that. So now that there's so many sports going on, historically, which sport do you think gets neglected at this time of the year where there's so oh, many sports on the wall? Without
2: without a doubt, the sport that gets neglected is college basketball. Mm. Uh, I mean, really who's going to be, who's going to get these lines right on these, especially the little schools and the smaller schools like Marshall, Bryant, Presbyterian, Winthrop, Kennesaw state. I mean, they're just not going to get them right on those games, but they want to offer lines on them. So they're going to have specialists that are going to attack those smaller conferences and smaller schools. So, and, and uh, they can't get, to, like I said, um, just just Tuesday, they had as 100 college basketball games on the schedule. And, and it just, it's impossible to, to, uh, for the originating bookmaker to get every single line right on, on those games.
1: All right, so then let's do this. Crack, which NFL games, whether it's line movements or things you've seen, have already caught your attention? And if you have a college basketball game this weekend that we should be looking at?
2: Not, I, the lines aren't even up on the college basketball, but, okay. but the college, uh, college. Uh, I'm sorry, the, the NFL games. I noticed, um, uh, since we're, since we're going to talk about the contest anyway, I, I, the Kansas City game. Uh, Warren's there in the background, right? Yes, yes I'm he's here. here. Okay, so on the cards here in town on the contest, there it's three and a half, and now I'm seeing the the places six. that are that count at six. Yep. that's that, that's because of Mahomes, I'm sure, right?
0: Exactly. Exactly. It looks like he might give it a go. And there was uncertainty, I guess, when they finalized the West He's State line. I'm just telling you.
2: Oh, yeah. That's, He's so that, that's going to that, play. That's going to be a – you can guarantee people will be using them on the contest cards. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. on, on the contest, they'll be using the Chiefs. Cause, uh, but now, now, again, this at this stage, halfway through the season, you can do that. But at the later stages, when you're playing catch-up, Tournament strategy is to actually no, you have to gain a, mom- gain a game on them. You'd actually pick Battle the bad the line. Yeah, you pick the bad line, believe it or not, because you're going to gain two full games on the people that are ahead of you. So, um, so I, I noticed that game, and then, and then let's get to uh, let, let's get to one of the, some of the stuff that I actually like too. That's, that's the way we're going to take this, I, I would think. Yeah, Buffalo please. Buffalo. Um, kind of like Buffalo a little bit over Cleveland. Listen, every week they say Cleveland's going to Cleveland's gonna rebound. This is their week they've been playing. Even I have said it. Last week I thought they were going to step up to the plate and didn't do it. So uh, I, I, I think uh, I, I kind of like Buffalo with the points there a little bit. I'm looking at that plus three. Um, oh, by the way, the some of the sharpest guys, and there is sharp guys in contest, believe it or not. I, I listened to a show this morning that Arizona uh, is his pick, plus four and a half. I'm, I'm not I haven't looked at that game yet, but, um, you know, these teams score a lot of points, though. Tampa Bay has been involved in some bomb games, so that'll be interesting. There'll be a lot of points. It opened up six down to four and a half. Um, I'll give you the, what the New York Post is calling the, the Battle of the New York Dumpster Fire. <laughs> Dumpster Fire Battle. The Giants and the Jets. Um, I think that's an interesting game, too. Like like, it, It's a game where both teams have been playing so bad. You just don't know who's going to just want it more, probably giving up on the season. Um, kind of staying away from it, but I'm in, still interested in watching it. There's a team that you pick a lot in the contest. I know Warren likes this team, and I also like this team. And they took a terrible beat last week, the Colts, which I thought they should have beat the Steelers. I, I kind of like them uh, laying the points. I think Miami played their, uh, their Super Bowl already by beating the Jets. And uh, I, I kind of like Indy in that in that contest, thinking they're going to rebound off of last week. And my last pick is Seattle. Uh, everyone loves San Fran. Let's face it, San Fran really is like the new America's team. I just think six and a half on the on the on the, on the contest is is a little too high. So that I, is I, I really kinda high. like Seattle.
1: How about uh, so what do you think? Well, this on this podcast comes out Friday. Is there any lines for college basketball games on Friday that you've already circled or you've already no? Met? Okay,
2: no, no. I was Nothing really
1: hoping you were going to tell me Fordham plus 20 was a lock.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's some there's some, some of those weak schools. As a matter of fact, I may be sharing that. Now that I know you're interested, though, I may be <laughs> personally texting you some steals for, throughout the season.
1: Oh, yes. Please feed that degenerate <laughs> soul of mine. Crack, you right. are the man. I, I honestly, I like your Seattle pick. I think I'm leaning that way. Yeah. Um, a lot of these lines, it stinks when you got like four uh, plus like double digit lines. But I, I need to sit down. I have I haven't. I just didn't want to. I wanted to wait. A lot of stuff's sure. going on. Yeah, I wanted to wait. Sure, let's wait.
2: Yeah, okay. Let's yeah, go no find Yeah, stop. All right, crack. I love you, pal. Cool. Look forward to talking to you guys again. Thanks, all guys. Right, buddy.
1: Sounds good. Take care, crack. Uh, as always, download the Crack Wins app. Check it out. He gives out a pick a week. And now that college basketball's out there, this is Crack's time to shine. It really is. He said it when you guys were here the first time. NFL's cool, but I'd rather play with college basketball, MLB, and WNBA. So the value for crack really is his college basketball. Because he really is able to go, that's great if everybody wants to talk about North Carolina, Notre Dame. But there's a Winthrop, Southeast Missouri State game that you're not paying attention to. And your line's way off. Do you get into college basketball at all? You're college football
0: and NFL. Yeah, but primarily the NFL, like once the, once the Super Bowl ends and it's like heyday for college basketball, right? Everybody's starting talking yeah, about March Madness. I start researching and writing my book mm. and I'm talking to teams and I'm going to the combine and I'm you know, conducting meetings yeah. and, and so, you're
1: explaining to teams what they've been doing wrong and what they could do better. Right. And I'm I'm showing them why I'm actually more
0: excited for their upcoming season than they might even be because right. of X, Y, and Z and things that so I get into I'm NFL year round and that's that's what people that's what the best guys are. The best guys of are total specialists so they can spot the southeast missouri state line is off and they know more about that school than the bookmaker does because all they care about is college basketball Yeah, so, yeah absolutely you got to you got to entrust like for a guy like crack you got to entrust what you're doing to the guys that specialize in those sports if you try to say i'll i'll i'll, I'll do everything there's there's no chance that I you're going to be good at that's everything. why i do only
1: nfl And NBA coming up every Tuesday. (laughs) Yeah, buddy. Um, Awesome. You know what? I'll say something about that really quick. Uh, Starting, uh, I guess, the week of Super Bowl and going for three or four months, uh, Tuesday nights on TNT, it will be the NBA on TNT, and it is going to be Shaq, Candace Parker, Dwayne Wade, and my dumbass. And your boy and uh, I don't want to talk about too much because I will get emotional, uh, but know this, that uh, y'all are are a huge part of why I'm able to do this because when I was able to do the All-Star game, you guys were filling up Twitter and saying, fuck yeah, Lefko, let's go. And when I was doing the match, it was the same thing. And um do not do not ever think that I'm gonna to get too disconnected from my journey and and what you guys have helped me with. So 33 percent know that you've wa- you've witnessed this whole thing grow and and as this show continues to grow and what we're doing with it, it's the playbook continues to grow. Um, even when I go and do another sport, the fact that you guys are there on Twitter going holy shit, Leftco, we're fucking doing it. It is a we. And so I appreciate. I gotta get the fuck off, or I'm gonna cry. I love you guys a lot. For Warren Sharp, I'm Adam Lefko. Please play the music because this is gonna be too much, and I can't fucking do this. Bringing the flowers, guys. God damn it! All right, love you guys a lot. Fuck.